Welcome to Espresso Tech Talks, a podcast series meant to explore how technology is impacting the future of business as seen through the eyes of forward-thinking executives and visionaries. From this episode, we will learn why technology and soft diplomacy work hand in hand. Recently, we interviewed Coach Kathy Kemper, the founder and CEO of the Institute for Education, a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit committed to engaging the global community to harness the power of soft diplomacy, data, and innovation. Coach Kemper talks about why pivoting to technology was a game-changing decision for IFE's programs. Well, it was about eight years ago, I realized that while there was so much that people in D.C. disagree over, technology could be a space for common ground. I could see that it was going to change the world and be such an important area. So I really got to work. I read everything I could on the latest in tech. In 2019, Kemper was recognized alongside Jeff Bezos as one of Washington Life's magazine's Tech 25, a prestigious honor reserved for top technology innovators and disruptors. Extolled as DC's Networker-in-Chief by U.S. News & World Report, Kemper convenes timely salons that draw White House and congressional leaders, diplomats, business executives, journalists, and tech innovators for debate and discussion. The interview was conducted by Raluca Popa, who was previously the Chief Operating Officer at the Institute for Education. Raluca now directs client services for Espresso a global provider of end-to-end digital product development for clients worldwide. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Espresso Tech Talks. From this episode, we will learn how technology can unify audiences through soft diplomacy from coach Kathy Kemper, the founder and CEO of the Institute for Education, or IFE. I've had a pleasure to work with Coach, and the programs convened at IFE are not only educational, but also cutting edge. The invitation-only discussions have tackled topics such as blockchain, IoT, machine learning, back in the days when few people even understood what this technology meant or how they would impact our lives. And that is because IFE has been around for 30 years, so it's celebrating the 30th season in 2020. Wow. Congratulations for that, Coach, and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Raluca, and thank you. I love to be called Coach. I actually prefer Coach, other than Mom. It's my favorite name, so thank you for calling me Coach. Before getting deeper into IFE's tech programs, let's first help our audience learn more about Coach Camper and how a career on the tennis court led to the most sophisticated evening salons hosted by foreign ambassadors and attended by DC's elite. It's always a pleasure to listen to this fantastic story. I think I know it by heart, but I love it all the time. So how did the Institute for Education start back in the 1990s and how has it changed over the past 30 years? Well, first, let me also thank you, Raluca, for your leadership in the Institute for Education. I can't tell you how grateful we are. You're just a breath of fresh air everywhere we are. Um, and it, I agree, it is a great uh, American story, the Institute for Education. We're a nonprofit with a mission to harness the power of data, innovation, and soft diplomacy in the global community. And sometimes I think that's a lofty goal, but the roots are very simple. It really grew out of my work coaching, coaching tennis. I got married to Jim Valentine in 1989, and one day he said to me, you know, you coach all these big shots, tennis, 
So why don't you invite them to breakfast? And I'll invite a few of my colleagues. Jim was an investment banker, and so he had many colleagues in the financial sector. At first, I I really wasn't crazy about the idea. I just didn't want to impose on my students. But Jim was persistent, and I finally thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. I was very outside of my comfort zone. I was a tennis coach, not a public policy finance guru. But the first event, the first breakfast we had was with Les Aspen, who was then Secretary of Defense and also my tennis student. I was his coach. There were only eight people or so, and it was off the record, so it was very frank and casual and a great conversation. It grew from there, and then in 1992, we formally incorporated it as the Institute for Education. That's really amazing. Everything falls into place when things are right. Um, I know IFE is renowned for its info roundtables, which have been hosted by prominent leaders, including Supreme Court justices, governors, CIA and FBI directors, Nobel laureates, and professional athletes. When and how did technology come into play, and why did IFE pivot from topics related to politics, business, and media to conversations about 5G, artificial intelligence, facial recognition, and wearable tech? And I know there are a few key persons that you'd like to mention in particular here. Oh, right. Yes. Well, thanks. Um, Over the years, IFE, well, we've just had an incredible wealth of speakers, as you mentioned above, including, you know, the members of Congress and ambassadors and the CIA and FBI directors and White House chief of staffs, Nobel laureates. And each of them shares their unique perspective on the world, which is absolutely priceless. Frankly, in some ways, this whole endeavor is a little bit selfish. I love to learn by surrounding myself with brilliant people, and the IFE salons are one way to do that. Recent IFE roundtables and panel discussions have focused on the future of work and the impact of technology on the changing nature of work with U.S. Chief Information Officer Suzette Kent, and then we had a conversation on 5G with FCC Chairman Ajit Pai, That was at the Finnish ambassador's residence. And a discussion about the role of facial recognition in societies with the Denmark tech ambassador, Kasper Kleige, and then U.S. Technology Transformation Service head, Anil Sherian, and John Paul Farmer, who's now the chief technology officer of New York City. Wow, that's an amazing lineup of speakers. It is, I agree. So um, how did IFE's guests take this new approach? Uh, With most of the long-lasting members being interested mainly in politics and media, how did the topic of technology manage to unify this audience with a younger tech-savvy crowd? And what role did soft diplomacy have in this transition? Oh, that's a great question. Well, it was about eight years ago I realized that while there was so much that people in D.C. disagree over, technology could be a space for common ground. I also started having more conversations with John Paul Farmer, who had been at the leadership of IFE and a great personal friend for 12 years. Then John left the investment banking in New York City to work at the Obama White House with the second U.S. CTO, Todd Park. The two of them then founded the White House Presidential Innovation Fellows Program, the PIF program, as they call it. Um, And then Trump, which which the Trump White House has embraced and scaled, bringing techies and entrepreneurs into the U.S. government to do a one-year tour of duty with the different federal agencies. The idea is to bring a startup kind of entrepreneur mentality embracing change. 
lean startup design thinking, agile development to the slow-moving government agencies. Hearing about John's work showed me how seriously the White House, and by extension the whole government, was going to take the topic of technology forward. I wasn't very savvy about tech at that time, but I could see that it was going to change the world and be such an important area. So I really got to work. I read everything I could on the latest in tech, from like blockchain to crypto to wearable tech, biotech, IoT, quantum, cloud, artificial intelligence, robotics, everything. I even took a coding class. Wow. And I learned a little Python. Oh, my God. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> From tennis coach to coder. Um, that's saying too much, though. I'm a lifelong learner, and um, but now at least I know my way around tech. I mean, here I am with you talking about technology. Well, I'm really impressed to hear all that. I'm sure that you would have a lot to talk with our Python developers. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. <laughs> well, it's very clear that IFE has always been ahead of the curve and was very bold in uncovering these new grounds. Um, I know that one of the latest tech programs back in October had a fascinating panel, including US CTO Megan Smith and Vincerf, one of the co-fathers of the internet. And for more background, we are talking about a team member of General Magic, the Silicon Valley startup built by some of the brightest minds of the 1980s. And I recommend watching the documentary if you haven't yet. General Magic developed a precursor of the smartphone when the idea of using a touchscreen was purely science fiction for the majority of us. Um, at the same time, Vince Cerf is an internet pioneer who contributed to the early development of the World Wide Web, to which our day-to-day -day activities are now entirely tied to. How did that go, and what did the crowd learn from the panelists? Well, that was an outstanding evening. It was kind of historical even. Uh, I guess it, I remember now it was in October, and we hosted Vince Cerf, the co-founder of the Internet, for a conversation about the urgent need to close the digital divide. I remember the title of the theme of the evening was Connected the Unconnected. And Megan Smith, having her there on the panel, the third U.S. CTO with Vint, um, and it was at the embassy of Kazakhstan, the Kazakh ambassador, I remember, he kicked off the evening by talking about Digital Kazakhstan Program, which aims to elevate the living standards of each country's residents using digital technologies and digital techniques. And that was all in the hope of improving Kazakhstan's economy and the quality of life there. Um, and let's see, I remember Vince talked about how international cooperation is so necessary for the task of closing the digital divide. He cautioned, I remember, that in order for the Internet to remain a global phenomena, global cooperation isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. Let's see, what else did he think? One of the main tools for closing the connectivity gap, he said, is education, I remember, and the rapid rate of innovation. He argued and he talked about how adults always need to keep learning throughout their lives, which is critical. And then Megan, uh, she spoke about um, the digital divide by not ha having evenly distributed the internet and the connectivity. She said we are missing out on the genius of different types of people from around the world. She suggested that maybe there's another way to choose the connectivity divide to get more coding programs across the U.S. and to make sure that STEM courses are a part of the kids' schooling across the globe, starting at an early age. 
John Paul Farmer was there. I think we had eight ambassadors. We had entrepreneurs. Then, of course, we had the superhero hero, civic tech people, IFE interns. You were there interviewing Vitserf. And uh, a number of journalists were in the room, all to discuss what the conversation was. I mean, really, what could be better than that? And then we had amazing Kazakhstan food. It was basically heaven for me. Yeah, it was such an amazing evening. And what I remember was that Vincerf mentioned at some point that when they started, you know, working on what be- became the internet after several years, they never thought it would impact our lives like this. I mean, they, they didn't, they didn't even knew what they were about to create. So. It's it's really crazy when you think about it. Um, speaking of the collaboration with Megan Smith, I know that this beautiful friendship inspired IFE to start a free coding summer camp for underrepresented K-12 kids around LA area. How did the summer camp in partnership with the University of Southern California get started? And what do these kids learn? Why is computer science such a life-changing skill for them? Well, yes, we, 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 being a part... Um, and so involved in the technology world is realizing just how important all these technical skills are for the future and also realizing how important diversity is for building equitable technology systems. So in 2014, at Megan's suggestion, she said, Coach, I think you ought to start a coding camp. And I kind of looked at her as if I thought she was nuts. I mean, what did I know about that? But we figured it out, and we launched a free summer coding camp at the University of Southern California, the Viterbi School of Engineering. We are co-founders with them. And the camps are designed to provide students with early education into computer science and engineering and applied science and robotics, which are not typically covered in formal K through 12 curriculum. The camps primarily target girls in underrepresented student populations and low-income families. These camps are just a game changer for the kids, but also for the families and the communities. They come on the sparkling USC campus. Most have never been on a college campus before, and their world just suddenly becomes larger and full of excitement and expectations. Seeing the first day of orientation and then Friday is graduation is just an absolute highlight for me. The kids the parents, the grandparents, the cousins, the aunts, the uncles, they're just all there and they're so grateful. It takes my breath away. Yeah, so so thoughtful to start a summer camp like this. I, I bet they appreciate a lot, uh, all the effort to start it. Yes, and now we've had um, over 4,000 kids have gone through the camp. And just this year, we started on the weekends a robotics camp on Saturdays, on days that there aren't football games. And that's been a huge success. And each one of these camps, we have huge wait lists. It's not a surprise that with such cutting-edge vision, you were recognized by one of DC's most respected publications, Washington Life magazine, as one of 2019's Tech 25 Innovators and Disruptors of the nation's capital. And this prestigious title is only awarded to entrepreneurs and visionaries that work towards advancing technology, so it's not for everyone. Please tell us more about it and how has it impacted IFE's activity since? Yeah, that award, that was really something. I was so honored to receive it and to be named alongside Jeff Bezos and other industry titans. I mean, you know, that was just wonderful and amazing. Um, But I think the reason is because through IFE, uh, IFE and I have been a leader in bringing senior level lay people and people who, now these people are very accomplished leaders, but they're not technologists. 
we bring them together with civic technologists and leaders of the tech and government movement. No other organization has done this as effectively as IFE. We put people who are ambassadors, Supreme Court justices, senators, cabinet secretaries, in the same room as the PIFs, members of the United States Digital Service, Tech Congress Fellows, members of Coding It Forward Fellowship, a fellowship that brings computer science students into government for a summer. All these people are critical to the conversation, and we pull it together. Let's talk about the future of work and gender equality. I know you get this question a lot. As one of the upcoming IFE salons is about gender equality in AI, and I know you are a great supporter of female leaders, I've done some research here, and it turns out that only 22% of AI professionals globally are female, which can be a frustration for many gender equality advocates, right? Um, and some worry that the digital future will continue to be made by men for men. In a similar way, IMF researchers predict higher job losses among women when automation displaces an estimated 10% of jobs over the next two decades. Because according to an analysis conducted on 30 countries, it looks like women will suffer more consequences because of the higher number employed in roles such as clerical work that are particularly vulnerable to automation. So I'd like to learn what is your opinion on this? Well, I'm very amped to hope our gender equality in AI salon, and that will be at the Albanian embassy. Uh, a recent AI index report by Stanford shows that no great progress has been made along these gender lines in, e and in the AI research space. We really need a diverse community of thought leaders in the AI and data space to highlight, like an algorithm for stories on women, a vital initiative that's going to ensure future AI products and solutions are gender inclusive. Devar Ardalan will moderate this panel at the Albanian ambassador's embassy. And yeah, and Devar is really an ascending leader in this space. Um, and we have pulled together a very, very literate panel on this. Wow, I can't, I can't wait to, to participate. I and agree. Devar was one of our guests for a previous episode. So uh -huh, fantastic. I'm in good company then. <laughs> <laughs> This is all great. Thank you. Thank you for all the answers. And for the last questions that we like to call espresso shots, we have short questions with short answers. Um, I'd like to learn from you. What mobile app or apps do you use the most? Slack and WhatsApp. If I were to check my screen time, I think half of the time I spend on my phone, it's on WhatsApp. Um, we don't use Slack. We use work chat, but still, uh, you know, chatting and texting with your colleagues and friends, it's you know, something that takes a lot of our time. Uh, so I totally get it. Um, what tech influencer inspires you the most? Well, certainly Megan Smith. Um, and uh, Megan talked to me one time about Ada Lovelace. And she is actually Countess Ada Lovelace. She was an English countess who in the early 1800s developed the analytical engine, which was a precursor to what we know now as a computer. So I think those two women are my inspiration. The next question would be, what do you ask your AI assistant? Oh, boy. Last few days, it's COVID-19 update, COVID-19 update. That's right. There is no day without updates on this front um, in these unusual times. 
But on a more positive note, what else do you ask Alexa or Google Home? Oh, I ask her how the markets are doing. And up until the last several weeks, you know, the markets have been doing great. And I ask her about the weather. And I ask her to play Mozart or a little Chopin sometimes. It would be interesting to learn what does your smartwatch know and no one else does? Well, my smartwatch knows everything. <laughs> I love my smartwatch. What do you do when you want to disconnect? You know, I never want to disconnect. I'm so grateful to be connected all the time. So I never want to disconnect. Maybe go for a walk or play tennis or golf. I know you play golf a I lot. Do I do play a lot of golf. And then you're right, Raluca. Yeah, I do disconnect then. I don't, um, I don't, check, my, uh, I don't check my phone at all. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not one of those people that really loves to disconnect. I'm always glad to be back and see what's going on and check in. You have a lot of energy. Tell us your secret. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Coach, for taking the time. We really appreciate it. This has been wonderful. It's just great. You're doing a fantastic job. Thank you so much for inviting me. IFE is a great example that leaning into technology can open new doors, new horizons, and bring new opportunities. With this idea in mind, I'd like to also thank our audience for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode with another insightful conversation and another cup of espresso tech talks.